Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Nechabar, and this is going to be episode 108, episode 108 of The Informed Catholic, and we're going to continue looking at an article uh, that's uh, exploring the venerable Fulton, uh, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, his... You know, his very um, prophetic um, prophetic view, uh, understanding of, of the events that are going to come. This one actually goes from the 1970s and it's going to explore uh, the Archbishop's understanding of the events that were coming our way. So uh, before we begin that, let's uh, let's read. The scriptural passages for Wednesday, uh, first week of Easter, uh, entrance antiphon. Come, you blessed of my father, receive the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And uh, let's go into the Gloria. I didn't say that uh, when we started this uh for the first week of Easter, but uh, I think it's proper. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Come, you blessed of my Father, receive the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Amen. And the first reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. What, what I do, what I do, have I give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, rise and walk. Peter and John were going to the temple area for the three o'clock hour prayer and a man crippled from birth was carried and placed at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate every day to beg for alms from the people who enter the temple when he saw peter and john about to go into the temple he asked for alms but peter looked intently at him as did john and said look at us he paid attention to them expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise and walk. Then Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles grew strong. He leaped up, stood and walked, and went into the temple with them, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the one who used to sit 
begging at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with amazement and astonishment at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 105. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Alleluia. Give thanks to the Lord. Invoke his name. Make known among the nations his deeds. Sing to him. Sing his praise. Proclaim his wondrous deeds. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Alleluia. Glory in his holy name. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek to serve him constantly. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Alleluia. You descendants of Abraham, his servants, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He, the Lord, is our God. Throughout the earth his judgments prevailed. Rejoice, rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Alleluia. It's, he remembers forever his covenant, which he made binding for a thousand generations, which he entered into with Abraham, and by his oath to Isaac. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 24, verse 13 to 35. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven, mile, seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Calopus, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus in Nazarene who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. But they came back and reported that they had indeed seen a, a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on further. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in, to stay with them. 
And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they have found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were staying, who, who were saying that the Lord has truly been raised and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he made known to them the breaking of bread, the gospel of the Lord, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That was a, that's one of my favorite. I have to say that is one of my, my favorite. Just that. I mean, he appeared not to the 11, but the fact on the road to Emmaus, just going outside of Jerusalem, Two disciples were discussing intently at everything that has taken place and, you know, just trying to figure out, trying to understand what happened. And they couldn't let go with it. Something in them just could not let go, but they didn't have the answers. They wanted for certain that what they're hearing is a true. Did he raise from the dead? Is he really alive? What does it mean raised from the dead? You know, people think that, you know, a lot of um, our Protestant brothers and sisters, maybe they interpret rising from the dead as so he unwrapped himself from the sh- from the, the strappings of the linen cloth. No, just like Mel Gibson showed in his film. Yes, the cloth was found undisturbed, empty, like an empty co- cocoon, like a, a deflated balloon, so to speak perfectly wrapped, undisturbed, and maybe even more strange that the head cloth, the cloth that was wrapped around his head, the first thing they put on him, according to Jewish custom, they cover the face, the head of the of the deceased individual because it was considered immoral to stare at the, the face of the deceased. They wrapped it up carefully, um, maybe Joseph or Joseph Arimathea would perform the ritual because you have to take the person's remains down carefully or um, handle the person in a very careful manner. There's a lot of, there's prayers that they say um, about the individual, you know, on handling a dead body. In Judaism, there's a, a ritual. There's a ritual, a respectful ritual. You have to be reverent about the body. Treat it reverently, lovingly, tenderly, because this is someone you love, someone who, who just died. And this is also a righteous person who just passed away. So they would wrap the face in a very precise way, particular way. That cloth remains on the head. Nothing does not come off. Well, they found those that napkin, those the, the face covering, outside of the shroud, which no way you can get it out without unwrapping the shroud. 
and they found it in a place by itself, folded neatly. How did it get out without disrupting the shroud? It's a mystery, but obviously it was sort of like a little wink-wink coming from our Lord. I guess you could say a, a tender message, a little something to, for them to try to figure out because only by his divine power could that cloth, that headcloth could have come out. And then, of course, we have the, the mysterious, beautiful road to Emmaus. That beautiful scene, a very liturgical scene, that's how I look at it. It's apocalyptic, meaning that it's a, an unveiling, a, re, a revealing. He interprets the scriptures for them on the road. Walking on the straight and narrow road, he helps them to search the scriptures. He opens the scriptures to them. He explains the meaning of these events. He walks them through the scriptures. That's basically what the whole road to Emmaus is. And then after that, as the evening came, it's still the Passover, by the way. Passover is still going on. He it takes the bread, says the blessing, breaks the bread, and their eyes are opened. Their eyes were opened and they knew him in the breaking of bread. That's not an accident. They said it here. Um, he made known to them in the breaking of bread. This is a, a saying in the early church. You, we, he made himself known to them in the breaking of bread. He revealed himself to them in the breaking of bread. He makes himself known. He reveals himself. He gives himself to us in the breaking of bread, which is his body. That's what he was trying to tell them. Stop trying to search for me away from what I have given you. I have given you the means to find me. I have given you the means to, to be with me in the breaking of bread. He gave this blessing, this grace to the apostles, to the church. That's why they had to run back. He didn't want them to leave Jerusalem. He wanted them to run back, to run back to the apostles. Because they are members of the church. Now, this, so they can understand each other. So they can, they can, you know, we are a member of his body. When we come together every day and every Sunday, we get to know him. We are with him in the breaking of bread. And that's important to us. We have to, we have to realize this. Okay, so let's go into that article uh, on Fulton Sheen. Okay, so this is the um, National Catholic Registrar. Uh, again, it's by uh, Joseph... Uh, Pronchin. Uh, again, I'll spell his name. First name Joseph J O S E P H. Pronchin. Uh, capital P R O N E C H E N. It's a blog from 
July 29th, 2018, which is, again, the same last two articles I did an episode on. Uh, okay, let's begin. First of all, okay, and well, let me read the title. Archbishop Sheen's Warning of a Crisis in Christendom. With a saintly long-ranging spiritual vision, Bishop Sheen saw the roots of today's crisis firmly planted and growing in 1974, but gave us an antidote. Okay, the last um, the last articles were pretty much before 1974, uh, but it pretty much saw it. I mean, much of it was from his early radio days and his early 1950 uh, TV shows that he had uh, until he was forced b- pretty much by the um, the so-called Vatican II cardinals. But he he lived, he saw the changes. Okay, he, he was there at Vatican II. And he witnessed, this is, he died in 1979. Okay. He died in 1979, so this is 1974. He only has a few years left. He's not going to make it through the decade. Um, I think 1979, he passed away. What I, I believe it's 1979. I could be wrong, but I know he he pretty much, um, you know, he might have I he might have made it past 1979. I mean, I know he met John Paul II at St. Patrick's Cathedral. So let's. Uh, Let's go through it. First of all, we are at the end of Christendom. Bishop Fulton Sheen solemnly said during a television show in 1974, now, not Christianity, not the church, remember what I'm saying. Then he defined what he meant. Christendom is economic, political, social life as inspired by Christian principles. That is ending. We have seen it die. Look at the symptoms, the breakups of the family, divorce, abortion, immorality, general dishonesty. Okay, yeah, Christian uh, culture, Christian culture, Christian civilization. All right, that pretty much happened. Um, All right, uh, Christendom, I would say it started from the Reformation. The Reformation and then the birth of the individual state, uh, the the fact that the kingdoms uh, pretty much were disappearing and the birth of individual states were being born. Okay, then he defined what he meant. Okay, we went through that. That was 1974. Today we know it's even worse with the definition of marriage and gender drawn into the picture. And the crisis within the church. Oh, he's right. The definition of marriage is changing. Uh, same-sex marriage. The gender issue is 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 becoming a serious um, serious um, people. Uh, states, states and courts are daring to go that extra step. That extra step to actually uh, change a child's gender, wipe out gender even from the womb. I mean, abortion is not enough for them. 
Birth control is not enough for them. Marriage is not enough to them. Now they're going to try to go after the definition of, of, of gender, even from the womb. The perversity, the imagination of man is wicked. The human person's imagination is wicked. All right, so let's continue. Okay, you know, now uh, here, he reminded that of 22 civilizations that have decayed since the beginning of the world, 19 rotted and perished from within. 22 civilizations that have decayed since the beginning of the world, 19 rotted. Okay, and perish from within. All right, I'll go back one more time to that last paragraph. That was 1974. Today we know it is even worse with the definition of marriage and gender drawn into the picture and the crisis within the church. He reminded that of 22 civilizations that have decayed since the beginning of the world, 19 rotted and perished from within. Now it's interesting in the last paragraph, the crisis within the church. It is true. People like James Martin, the fact that there is uh, James Martin who doesn't who, who who supports uh the gender issue he supports gay marriage he doesn't he's he's rebelling against the church now we have we just recently have the church made it quite clear that it cannot bless sin it will not support or bless same-sex unions and then all of a sudden you see all these cardinals and these bishops and these priests literally thumb their noses and dare to defy the teaching office of the church, even the Pope himself. Well, this particular Pope is not a strong Pope. This particular Pope is a Jesuit. All right, I'm sorry. I don't like Jesuits. I know there are some good Jesuits out there. I know that the Jesuits are, I think there are Jesuits out there who are going to try to change things, God willing, that there are Jesuits out there. But the Jesuit order seriously needs a reform. They seriously need to look at themselves. If there's an order out there, they have to look at themselves and they really seriously need to reform themselves. All right. There has to be a, you know, there has to be a, a Jesuit group or some society that's going to try to fix the problem within the church. There seriously needs, there needs to be a revolution, a new, a reformation or a, a, a cleanup in in within the priesthood within the 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 orders the church needs the church needs this now many of the bishops they want to they want to push this they want to change the church make the church like the world and that's basically what happened from Vatican II they basically decided that the church the priests the bishops the cardinals should get down and get dirty, mixed with the culture, you know, relate to the culture more. And that's not the church. The church is countercultural. And then, you know, you got the pedophile, the, the, the sex scandals within the church. There's money, there's perversity, there's sodomy within the priesthood. There's the lavender mafia. <clears throat> there's the, you know, 
these men have hidden themselves in the church and perverse men, perversity lives on dishonesty and money. It lives on greed. Parishes are shutting down. There's a case in the Midwest of a parish that is shutting down. And even though the, the, the parishioners have decided to draw the money together and buy the parish, buy the church property from the bishop, from the diocese, they refuse to sell to the people. They're going to sell the, they're going to demolish the church and sell the land to a developer. That's this is this is how greedy they are. Perversity and dishonesty always lives on money. Okay, because you can't be perverse these days. Perversity and sodomy needs money. All right, foul, dirty old men, homosexual men need money to draw younger, perverse young men. That's the way it always is. I mean, it's the same thing with old guys with young women. We live, we live, uh, we live in it today. Okay, he said 22 civilizations uh, have decayed and rotted from within. And uh, uh, 22 civilizations have decayed since the beginning of the world. 19 rotted and perished from within. This is going to get interesting here. We live in it from day to day and we do not see the decline. Remember that that was, this was 1974. We take it for granted. We get used to things and almost accept them as the rule, despite the decline blaring today. Isn't it, you know, isn't that a, a rule? How many Catholics accept the, the counter message to Humani Vitae? All right. Humani Vitae about sexuality and procreation and how many Catholics practice uh, contraception all right how many of them go against the church teaching she pointed out uh, the press that we read the television that we see is in no instance inspired by Christian principles as a matter of fact there is on the part of many of us the tendency to go down to meet the world not to lift the world up. We are afraid of being unpopular. So we go with the mob. That's true. Look at the way our cardinals and bishops behave. A good example is look at uh, Cardinal Dolan of New York. A good example. Because a priest uh, refused to give Joe Biden Holy Communion, Dolan actually said on Good Morning America, and many of them like Walton Gregory, uh, Donald Wuerl, Blaise Supich, uh, Cardinal Dip Blaise Supich, they all threw the priest under the bus. The priest who basically defended the body and blood of Christ, refusing to give the body and blood of Christ to a man, a politician like Joe Biden, who supports same-sex unions and abortion. They all said, uh, I wouldn't have done it. They, they pretty much said it was mean. I don't think it was necessary. Um, you know, uh, you have to realize it's his choice. Uh, I understand he, what he was doing, but they threw him under the bus. They wouldn't stand by him. Many, many of them said that I wouldn't turn 
the communion rail into a political uh, arena. Well, it would be nice if there were communion rails, but you guys ripped out the communion rails so nobody can kneel. The point is they threw him under the bus. The man actually, the priest, was in the right according to canon law, what he was doing. But then they decide in order not to not to fall under canon law because they don't want they don't they don't want they don't want to say no they don't want to stand out and say no they will try to come up with inter, well canon law is not entirely clear they'll say that they always run back away from 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 defining canon law exactly as it is and this all went wrong Back earlier, decades earlier, um, when John Kerry, a, a Catholic politician who supported abortion, and they all got together. There was a, a, a time, this is when McCarrick was still active, when he was still, a, 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 when he was still active. He got a message from the teaching office of the Vatican at the time, Ratzinger, who later on becomes Pope Benedict XVI, gave a direct message that you are to stand by the principle of this particular canon law. I can't remember the number of the canon law, but he suppressed the message and said to everybody, well, each cardinal can decide for himself, which is not what the message said, that they all are to stand by canon law. I think it was two nineteen or something, but don't don't take don't take I don't know exact the exact number. But guess what happened? That pretty much let them go their own separate way. And since then, since that day, which later on they found out that that uh, uh, McCarrick suppressed the information from them, they never no cardinal in America was able to stand together. It it pretty much gave you know they fell apart. There was no uh, unity between with, with all the cardinals, and since then, that's how they've all chosen it to to interpret it in their own way, and that meant that they were going to cower, since there's no unity. Each one will, does not want the spotlight on on him, and that's what happened. That's what happened. This is this is this is what happened. This is this is this is the way it, it has been. Okay, Sheen pointed out. Okay, you know the press, the television. Okay, we read this part here. Um, is not inspired by Christian thinking. Okay, um, we're afraid. Okay, we're afraid of being unpopular, so we go with the mob. The good bishop noted we have we're living in the fourth the fourth five hundred year period. Of church history, church history explaining the church has not is not a continuing thing. It dies and rises again. Okay, it it proceeds on the principle of Christ Himself as priest and victim, and there comes the defeat, the seeming decay. We are put in the grave, and then we rise again. We have had four deaths in our Christian history. All right. So this is the part here we're going to look at it. So we've had the church. The church is living in its fourth 500-year period of church history. 
explaining the church is not continuing a thing. It dies and it rises against. It precedes the principle of Christ himself as priest and victim. And there comes a defeat, the seeming decay. We are put in the grave and then we rise again. We have had four deaths in, in our Christian history. Okay, so this is the fourth 500 period. The fourth 500 period where the church will have to die and rise again. Okay, so th we're going to explore this. All right, the first three falls and rises. The first time the church was in dire straits was in the fall of Rome. The first 500 year period. It had a rebirth when... Great saint missionaries like Augustine in England, this is not St. Augustine of Hippo, and Patrick in Ireland spread the faith. Then came the second decay around the year 1000 with the Muslim invasion and the split of the church within a schism in Constantinople. All right. It seemed to be the end of everything. And then we came to life again, Sheen said. In the third 500-year period, he said, the church became rotten as nuns and priests were defecting. Then came the reformers who almost always reform the wrong things and they began reforming the faith and there was, n there was nothing wrong with the faith. It was the morals that, not, that needed to be reformed. It's not renewal. It's really a moral reformation that is needed today too remember that was 44 years ago okay this was he's talking uh what sheen was saying uh from the article when it was written this was written in uh i think 2018 right yeah it was 2018 that this article was written so all the more in our day on just one point how many listened to and took to heart humanity vitae even theologians defected from it after that period the church came to life again sheen said he's talking about the reformation and now we're at the fourth period and we're rotting we're spoiled no great zeal no great learning no great fire yet there's hope because anyone who knows history is not particularly disturbed that's right. He's, he's, he's truly right about that. Okay, so the first time when he's talking about, we've had the first time this happened. Okay, let's look at it. The early church, the Roman Empire was, was falling. This is the, the first time. And you had people like Arius. You had people like Marcion. You had the Gnostics. You had uh, a bunch of people questioning the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. And that led, you know, that led to some problems that led to a lot of because of persecution. Many of them, when they were persecuted, a lot of them uh, denounced the faith under the Roman Empire. There were several persecutions at all. And persecutions lead people to question to question the faith in uh you know um marcion wanted uh was 
pretty much his attitude about the Jews was anti-Semitic. It was the devil always finds ways. He always finds his recruits and his recruits always sound smart. That's the one thing you have to remember about heresy. Heresy is always wants to defend, uh, you know, to find ways to defend itself. It's like it always chooses an intellectual argument. Uh, you know, that, you know, basically it's to, to destroy the, the very, the very history, the very root of the faith. I mean, our faith comes out of the Jewish faith and Marcion, his first action was to denounce the roots of Jesus as being Jewish and to denounce the old Testament. He even rewrote the gospel the Gospel of Luke, removed everything about Jesus being Jewish. That Jesus, for some reason, just appeared, a very Gnostic thing. He was just a divine Logos that just appeared. Then, of course, that didn't work. The church sent him off on his way, gave him back his money, and told him to take a hike. Okay, the church prevailed. The church leaders realized this guy is trouble. The next one was Arius, and Arius, again, a very intellectual person. He leaned more to Greek philosophy. He wanted to, to lean the faith away from its spiritual and more towards the pagan philosophy that matched the Romans. That's what many, because when Constantine gave the faith the reason to step out, Arius and and many others have always the 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 Roman the more Roman the Romans who converted just for the sake of of staying on Constantine's good side but never really denounced their pagan ways. They wished that the Christian faith would not be so moral and would just adopt some pagan principles. And so what happened was. Arius comes along and says that Jesus was just a mere man. He was a mere man who entered into divinity, and we don't know how, but he was not the incarnate word. And that became a very popular way of thinking. It became a very popular way of thinking. There's always a constant battle with intellectuals between the divine nature of Christ and the human nature of Christ. And even to this day, you see people wanting to focus more on his humanity and, 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 and focus and impose or bring out and embrace his flaws. It's, it's a compensation for everybody's sins because nobody wants to give up their sins. Another good example of this, I think people would, would, uh, would do well is there's a constant constant obsession with people to rehabilitate Judas Iscariot, to rehabilitate Judas, the betrayer who betrayed our Lord. This is psychological. It's not intellectual. It's psychological. It's because people themselves, many of them today are, are constantly uh, trying to sanctify sin, sexual sin, immoral sin, uh, the sin of, of greed, the sin of materialism. What did Jesus, Judas betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver? 
and just notice where everybody is heading towards. It's this, uh, it's this constant obsession to rehabilitate and sanctify the sinner. Not that the sinner gives up his sin. The sinner doesn't give up his sin. The sinner basically is, is, is basically a subconscious confession of you know of the sinners within the church, the people within authority. <clears throat> Remember what I said. A lot of these 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 men in power think that because they hold these offices, there is a superstitious behavior in their mind, an intellectual superstition, that because they hold these teachings office, that they also hold the mind of God, that they control the mind of God. This is this is very very common among intellectuals. It's a very superstitious uh, uh, intellectualism. Uh, uh, you know this this is my this is my own personal conclusion. I don't know if everybody agrees with me, but it's you know I I, I think it's valid in my my view. But notice this: uh, there was an article in Church Militant. All right, even Pope Francis didn't want to condemn Judas Iscariot to hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Judas Iscariot. Every every generation, they're always trying these these priests to rehabilitate his his image. It's a it's a it's a sickening intellectual superstition. It's a sickening uh, um, compensation for themselves. It's really talking about what's going on with them than anything else. Okay, let's let's continue. All right, so. Uh, the first time the church was in dire straits was in the fall of Rome, the fall in the fall of Rome, the first 500 year period. It had a rebirth when great saints like missionaries like St. Augustine, not Augustine of Hippo in England. Uh, this is a missionary that went to England and then Patrick in Ireland, they spread the faith. Then came the second decay around the year 1000 with the Muslim invasions and the split of the church with a schism in Constantinople. This was this was more authority based. It was very um a very vain authority base, but there was also other parts going on in in, in there. It seemed to be the end of everything. And then we came to life again, Sheen said. In the third five hundred year period, he said the church became rotten, as nuns and priests were defecting. Then came the reformers who almost always reformed the wrong things and they began reforming the faith and there was nothing wrong with the faith. It was the morals that need to be reformed. It's not renewal. It's really a moral reformation that is needed today too. Remember, that was 44 years ago. When Sheen was talking, it was 1974. He just went through Vatican II and he's starting to realize Okay, a lot of people realized there was nothing wrong with the faith. Even Vatican II, there wasn't, it wasn't really needed. This was really an intellectual rebellion. What's, hap what's happened was a moral and intellectual rebellion. A lot of the wrong men came up with the wrong ideas, and, they, and they, they, it was deliberate. This was, in my opinion, this was a deliberate movement to destroy the church. And I think it was from the communists, who decided to invade the church like Stalin invaded the church from within. So 
The church is going to survive because the faith is true. We have to remember Jesus Christ is true and he's faithful and the church is going to survive. All the more, all the more, all the more, sorry, all the more. So in our day, on just one point, how many listened to and took to heart humana vitae? Even theologians defected from it. Again, it's a moral problem. After that period, the church came to life again, Sheen said. And now we are at the fourth period and we're rotting. We are spoiled. No great zeal, no great learning, no great fire. Yet there's hope because anyone who knows history is not particularly disturbed. Okay. The church's enemies. But the enemies of the church... The enemies of the church, uh, but the enemies of each of the 500-year period, the enemies of each of the 500-year period has been se um, separate and distinct, he continued. We had, and here I am speaking generally of enemies within the church, in the first 500-year period, the false doctrines centering around the person of Christ, like I said, the Christological heresies, so the church was just, was just split open. And there was one of the reasons that, may, that made it possible for the Muslims to develop. Okay? Islam, Islam is leftover heresy. I know a lot of Muslims are going to get angry, but it's true. You got to look at it from the Christian perspective. They believe Jesus was born of a virgin. But he's not divine because God can will whatever God wills. And it's always funny how many people say, well, there are many similarities between Islam and Judaism and Christianity. But people, I'm sorry. Stop it. Okay? They deny his divinity. They deny, they don't have any of his great words. None of Jesus' words. There's no our father prayer or any, let's say, heretical version of the Our Father prayer. There's no beatitude blessings. There's no miracles mentioned in there, okay? There's none of that. There's none of that. As a matter of fact, much of the Book of Mary in the Quran comes from a Gnostic text edited and revised to fit the Muslim way of thinking. None of them are in there. As a matter of fact, they they call the they they may call Christians and Jews the people of the book, but when Christians and Jews rejected Muhammad, the second half of the Quran call accuses them of of horrible things. As a matter of fact, it calls Jews monkeys, apes, and 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 it calls and and it says that these people are corrupt. And that the Christians and Jews should be destroyed. It's all in the Quran. You know, people love the one when it comes to world religion. The 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 student of world religion, the universalism, never gives you everything. Never tells you all the bad things. They overlook the bad things. They, you know, and and then focus on. And to the Muslim, the Muslim knows this is this is true. The Muslim knows that these these people, you know, they, the Muslims don't believe in world religion. 
You may get Muslims in the West that may, that may, you know, a few of them here and there, but no Muslim is ever going to throw any Muslim under the bus. A Christian will. Maybe even you might get some Jews, they'll, they'll do it. Because they, they fall in love with universalism far more. Islam is the, is the last major religion. And at least one thing you have to respect the fact that even, even the most weakest Muslim is never going to throw him, uh, his, his religion under the bus. Never. They'll never criticize their religion. You'll never see a Muslim uh, unless they, they convert to Christianity and, and talk about the truth. But they'll never, ever, a real devout, uh, uh, even the worst Muslim will never throw his religion under the bus. Eli, uh, Leon Omar doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. She knows that, okay? They know that. They, they, they rather that the Christian demoralize them themselves. They rather the Jews demoralize themselves. But when it comes to Islam, you got to respect them on this one. Even the most, the, the worst bad, bad Muslim, practicing Muslim, will never, ever throw his religion or her religion he or she will never do that. Throw them under the bus and humiliate them in front of their own, um, in front of in front of the enemy. They'll never do that. So, you have to realize there's a difference. It's the it's the divinity of Christ. Islam does not believe in the divinity of Christ, and there are no great words of Jesus. All right, they'll say about the gospel but you'll never hear the gospel, the words of Jesus. They'll talk about the Ten Commandments. There is no Ten Commandments in the Quran. All right? There is no Ten Commandments in the, in the Quran. And the Quran even removes uh, Isaac and replaces him with Ishmael in the sacrifice of Abraham. Again, a big major thing. This is a religion that came far after the two major the the two faiths. Christianity, the difference is Christianity does not deny the sacrifice of Isaac. It does not deny the 10 commandments. It embraces all five books of Moses. That's what most you'll never you, you you'll you'll never hear these these so-called universalists talk about this. That's the difference. That's why Christianity and Judaism even though they, the modern-day Judaism does not accept Jesus, but one thing's for sure, biblically, Christianity, Christianity embraces all, all the books of Judaism. All the books of Judaism. Because it's built on the faith of Judaism. All right, so the first... Uh, enemies within the church was to destroy, destroy the divinity and person of Christ, both his divinity and his humanity. We should make that clear because the Gnostics, on the other hand, wanted to deny that he was even physically human, that he, uh, that he, you know, uh, and even came up with really immoral concepts like you hear today that him and Mary Magdalene, like in the Da Vinci Code movie, they were married and they had children. And then, you know, there's, you know, all kinds of like, you know, wild theories people came come up with. And that's that's usually the first the first attack. The attack is, was he really divine? 
Was he a human that became divine? Or was he a divine, uh, uh, did he, an illusion, like the Muslims would say that it, he wasn't really him on the cross. There's nothing in the Quran about the crucifixion. Only it gives a slight little thing that he gave them the illusion that he died on the cross. And then they came up with a wild theory that it wasn't him on the cross. It was Judas Iscariot on the cross. There's nothing like that. They always come up with these weird things. Then there's this um, so-called Judas gospel. And, you know, they, this is, this is, this is always, always something. It's, it, it, this is something that's very popular among the, the, the so-called, um, mystics, new agers. Uh, it's also very popular among the intellectuals who, who he gives them a lot to write about. And then it, and then among the, the heretics within the church, it's usually a moral, moral thing. Like I say, they're trying to rehabilitate the image of Judas Iscariot. It's always like that. It's always going to be like that. That's the way they are because it's a symptom. It's they're compensating for a lack of faith for the, for the ones within the church. It's a, they're compensating for the lack of faith. This is a sort of like you can say an intellectual confession on their part because they can't make a direct confession. It's almost like an into, you know, it's, it's a, they're confessing in a subconscious way. They can't help themselves. They have to. It's a pathetic, a pathetic confession, a, a, a pathetic it, uh, admission of their, of their sins. They always got to go around it. They can't say directly, I, I don't have faith. I admit, and yet they can't walk away from the church. It, it, they love and hate the church. Which one they have, which one is it? More, eventually, uh, the wreckage of their own faith will find out in the end. Okay, so the church had this problem. We had, uh, like I said, the first 500 years, false doctrine entered the church around the, the person of Christ. It centered around the person of Christ, the Christological heresies. So the church was split open, and that was one of the reasons that made it possible for the Muslims to develop. The next period saw attacks on the head of the church, the leadership basically on the Pope. This was the split between East and West, the Eastern church breaking away. By the 16th century, the attack was on the body of Christ, the mystical body, the church. It was the Reformation time. There's a, uh, a, uh, um, a uh, pigeon outside my window for some reason uh, found herself uh, comfortable. And so you're going to hear a, a, ver uh, a pigeon making sounds. Okay. All right. So this was, this was the... Um, Against the church, what is the church? The reformers went off and they created their own church. Today's uh, fourth enemy. Our enemy today is the world. The spirit of the world. She made it clear. All right. Today we have to conform to the world or we're branded, he said. Must be politically correct. Our Lord, our Lord said, I have taken you out of the world. We say, no, we have to win the world. And to win it, you have to be one with it. Our Lord, say, our Lord says, I pray not for the world. He was praying for the spirit of the world. 
And this is the easiest kind of way to fall off the log. Worldliness. It's so simple. And it can be justified for a thousand reasons. Namely, the Vatican Council said we have to go into the world. Indeed. But not to be the world. Which is quite different matter. So this is our attack today. Okay, so let's, let's just review a little bit here. I want to make sure we understand. The first 500-year period was the around the the, uh, the enemy was it was on the Christological. It was Christological heresies. Okay, that was the first one. The second was over the authority of the head of the church, which was the Pope. Okay, the third one was the Reformation, and now the fourth 500-year period is uh, that the basically the, the world. Now it's the spirit of the world to be like the world. And this is, this is what we're going through. All right. So, and, and he's right. Christ warned that we can't be like the world. I pray not for the world. He was praying for the spirit. He, he was praying for the spirit of, of the world and this is the easiest kind of way to fall off the log worldliness it's so simple and it can be justified for a thousand reasons namely the vatican council said we have to go into the world indeed but not to be the world which is quite different matter so this is our attack today sheen saw this as one of the basic causes of our degeneration of our death we're dying what about it what's the answer the answer is, these are great and wonderful days in which to be alive. I thank God that I can live in these days because these are days of testing. Since 1974, the testing pressure has increased. And he's right. Sheen explained it. It was easy to be Christian in three decades before his talk. The atmosphere was Christian. The morals were Christian. There was no great problem in adapting ourselves to a Christian society. But now, when everything is turned around, these are days when the masks have to, have to come off. We, and we re reveal ourselves just as we really are. Today, the current is against us. And today, the mood of the world is go with the world. Go with the spirit. Listen. Dead bodies float downstream. Only live bodies resist the current. And so the good Lord is testing us. He's right. And he's testing us, Western Christians, with worldliness. And how many of us are falling? Would Bishop Sheen be surprised on how far the decadence and corruptions have piled up? He gives the example of the Israelites being tested by God. He's right, in the desert. That is what he's doing to us. We are showing what we really are now, Sheen said. St. John says in his epistle, they did not love us really from the beginning. That is why they left us. And so the souls that are falling away have just failed to meet the test. It is very much like the test that the Jews had. 
the foresighted bishop highlighted how the majority of Israel scouting the promised land told the people they couldn't enter the, because the dwellers there were too strong. But the majority is not always right. Only Caleb and Joshua, the, the minority reported, disagreed they were right. Sheen warned, what we're going to have in the church is a minority report. A minority report of sisters, a minority report of priests, a minority report of laity, not the minority that is aggressive and troublemaking, but the minority that is like Caleb and Joshua, who trust in God. So we are tested, just as the Jews were tested. He went on, not far from after our time, and perhaps in the time of some, of some then will come the battle and the testing. Our Lord said, Satan would sift you as wheat, and we are being sifted as wheat, so we can. Oh, thank God that we live in these days. Really, it's beautiful. Now we can say I or nay, and we can bear up under assault, criticism, and ridicule, because this is the lot of the Christian in the days of the spirit of the world. Surprising and unexpected advice. The saintly bishop made it clear the situation was really not gloomy. Why? Because it's a picture of the church in the midst of increasing opposition from the world. And therefore, live your lives in the full consciousness of this hour of testing. And really close to the heart of Christ. Be the minority. He really had ears perked up with his next revelation and recommendation. And if there's anything that has to be restored in our day, I would say it would be violence, violence. The kingdom of heaven is won by violence and only the violent shall conquer it. Shouldn't be about peace. It shouldn't be about peace. Let us hear the great bishop explain, and, and, and biblically too. He observed how when the church drops things, the world picks them up or twists them in the wrong way. For example, mysticism drops and the young turn it into uh, some drug, well, let's say. And we drop violence. We drop violence, discipline, commitment to the cross and the world picks it up that's why there's no stopping the violence of this of this country we just have to hire more police guards build more hospitals for the addicts why because there's no moral reason on the inside why they shouldn't stop isn't that is isn't he right on today today's beam what's the usual first response more government spending more laws will fix the problem. Yeah. Sheen explained, our blessed Lord said, I have come to bring the sword, not peace. We are always talking about peace, peace, peace. Yes, because that's war. World War II, Korean War, etc. happened. Then we have had, of course, the Gulf War, right? And then the sec then there was 9-11, uh, and then there was uh, suddenly, before you know it, we, we've had uh, a forever war in the Middle East after 9-11, right? Kind of like the second uh, post-9-11 
9-11, which is the post the Gulf War then. And we've been, we, we've been at it. And then now we have all this problem about gun violence. Now we have, now we have a lot of the, the woke culture, right? St- pulling down the statues, uh, cancel culture, everything. And then of course, you know, the recent shootings we just had, uh, which of course, then, then nobody wants to, uh, touch it because it doesn't fit the politically correct narrative. It's, 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 it's really interesting. Okay. But we aren't making war in ourselves. There's not going to be any peace in the world until we make war. Our Lord said, I come not to bring peace, but the sword. He never used the word peace until after Easter. That's true. He's right. He's right. Sheen explained, our blessed Lord said, I have come to bring the sword, not peace. We are always talking about peace, peace, peace. Yes, because that, because that war, World War Two, of course it was World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam War, we forgot about Vietnam, happened. We aren't making war in ourselves and there's not going to be any peace in the world until we make war. Our Lord said, I have come not to bring peace, but the sword. He never used the word peace until after Easter. The, the Lord brought a sword. It's not the sword that's thrust outward against the enemy. It's a sword that's thrust against ourselves, cutting out the seven um, ball bearers of the soul, pride, covetousness, and lust, and anger, envy, gluttony, and sloth. And we've given up the sword. Someone else has taken it up, and we have to restore it. Then we'll get peace. Peace is never uh, uh, cooperate. It's never social. It's, it's until it's first individual. Social peace, world peace, is the extension of individual peace in our hearts. When we're right with God, then we will be right with our fellow man. When we're not right with God, then we will be wrong with everyone else. He told everyone to take seriously spending an hour before the Lord in the, in the Blessed Sacrament every day, not only for our own souls, but for the world, and to strengthen our our minority, its violence to ourselves, easy enough and understood. Archbishop Sheen emphasized, the Lord is keeping reserves. He's training us. We'll, well making the the entry. We'll uh, we you know we you know we we will make the entry. We will prepare for a new church, and he is with us. We just simply can't add rules. Only we've already won. As a matter of fact, only the news has not yet leaked out, and so it's violence that has to be rest- restored. And I think what he means by violence. I mean, I know a lot of people are gonna, especially on the left, they're gonna grab hold of that and hijack the word. Um, <clears throat> violence over fighting over what's true, the gospel, and from with from within. Like I said, these men who are in charge, these these church leaders now, who who are in love with the world, who are in love with the spirit of the world, who are in love with the flesh, who are the sodomites, the homosexuals, the perverts, the pedophiles, um, who basically, who hate Christ, 
They hate Christ. I mean, seriously, there was a Jesuit not long ago who said, uh, how does anyone know what Jesus really said? Does anybody have a tape recorder? This is a man, a priest within the church who says, who, who says this. He doesn't believe the gospel is real. This is, this is what these men are. You got nuns. The other day I was watching something on Church Millet about a nun who's, who, who was all into the transgender. She, she th sees herself the Mother Teresa of transgenderism. This, it, it's amazing how this whole thing got caught up into the church. It's amazing how all now it's everything is about homosexuality and transgenderism. And nobody seems to notice where all this, how, how all this came to be. It's, it, you know, it, 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 you have to really look at it. When, when this evil took over, everybody's acting like it was always there. You know, it's amazing. And maybe I think he's absolutely right. I don't I don't think he's maybe he's right. I think he is absolutely right. I think we have to, you know, we have to really um there's not going to this is not gonna be solved by by the conservatives, by the orthodox being passive. People are afraid. I'm afraid too. I'm afraid because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. What will become of me? You know, I have a mom. I have a job. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons why we, the best thing in the world to do is when someone doesn't have anything to worry about. You know, Paul said himself, a man, you know, who has family has to worry about his family, has to think of his family first. But what happens, you know, the truth is, if a man doesn't have any responsibilities, he can put God first. And one doesn't have to worry about him himself. The same thing with a woman who's married. You can't hold these things back. You can't, you can't let, you can't, you know, you, you're you going to be constantly battling and worrying about between the kingdom of heaven and, and, and serving God and, and your own home. And maybe that's, that's one of the reasons why it's best not to be married, I think. Um, because the forefront, I mean, you know, you're, you're defending the entire church. There has to be soldiers without responsibilities, without earthly responsibilities, without worrying about their homes. And this is one of the things, but the lay people, Fulton Sheen did say that the lay people will save the church. And I think that's, that's true. The lay people will save the church. There are a lot of wonderful lay people. You got people like Scott Hahn. You got people like Taylor Marshall. You got people like Timothy Gordon. Um, you got other, others as well. You got uh, John Henry Weston. You have others. And there's many, many other people out there. Many other people out there. Um, and you got good, good priests, good religious people. There's just several of them out there. And I think, you know, like, like Fulton Sheen said, the Lord has his reserves. But some of us, 
some of us have to find out which camp we fit under, you know, and, you know, I'm, I myself realize that I've, I've often struggled with the world and in my own personal life and with the spirit, we've all, we've all go through that. We have to pray. I think this is a good article. I'm going to try to post these on my um, uh, Facebook page, uh, the, the Informed Catholics, so you guys can read them. I'm going to try to put all of them on there. So um, God bless, and I'll be back again. I'm going to come back with a book uh, by uh, John Henry Newman, The Confederacy of Evil by Cardinal Newman on the end of times, on the end times, okay? So God bless and be well. Let's close it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>